Heavenly Father, we come before you today. As we declare the truth of your word, as we sing of the glorious might. Your life-changing truth. Lord, I pray that today as we come before you in worship, as we read your word, Lord, that you would share your truth with us, that we would hear from you this morning, that we would remove the distractions of the world today, the burdens that we carry, that we would intentionally set them aside right now, that we might hear you clearly. I pray we've come with an attitude of obedience that whatever you would teach us, we say yes, declaring you as our Lord and Savior. May you be glorified here today. May you be magnified by our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. This past Wednesday, we, we did something a little different just because of what's going on in the world today. And we talked about revival and we talked about spiritual awakening, what that is, what it means, uh, what, what's unusual about Kentucky. And, and now it appears nine other campuses across the U.S. What's going on? And I've read a lot of articles. I've seen even one of our state missionaries who traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky to experience that. And, and he comes from a unique perspective because his father was a pastor years ago, about 30 miles from Wilmore, Kentucky in 1970 when they had a revival. One of the students that had encountered the revival there at Asbury University came to his dad's church to share a word of testimony about what God was doing in his life. And our state missionary was saved in that service. So if nothing else, whatever happened in Asbury in 1970 impacted the life of one who gave his life to Christ, has been a pastor for many years, and is now a state missionary helping other pastors and churches. And that's pretty incredible. And I know that we address uh, revival with skepticism or uh, we want to be spectators and see what's really happening going on. And, and then others are, are genuinely caught up in what God's doing in their lives. One of the things that I did read, and, and I, I feel that it's important for us to hear, is that revival is born out of anguish not out of a great worship service, not out of your favorite song, but out of God's word. And his word crushes us in our sin in the presence of his holiness. And there's nothing else we can do. That's where revival is born. And that means our hearts need to be right with him to experience revival. He moves in us and we respond to him. 
The things that we cling to, the things that we control, the things that we're unwilling to repent of are barriers to revival. And until we release those things, until we humble ourselves before God, we will not have revival. Uh, the question that we had Wednesday night is, is it possible to have revival here? And some would say, well, we, we did two weeks ago, didn't we? Well, yes, we had some services and we had a great preaching, great worship and response. But revival is something that impacts a life that will change a life. And as much as we would want this revival in, in the universities to continue for on and on and on, it will not. You'll see it spike and it'll go down. It'll spike and it'll go down. It'll spread and it'll spike and go down. But it's as people respond to the Word of God. So let me just say, you and I have an opportunity this morning that as we share God's Word, as we listen to God's Word, we have an opportunity to hear from Him and respond to Him. Will that be revival? I don't know. Might it move you closer to the Lord when you obey? Absolutely. But what is your intent here this morning? I pray that you will join me in, in just setting our hearts before God. Say, God, if you want to move in us this way, then let it be. Don't let me be the barrier. Looking back a few weeks ago, we went through some, some basic foundational principles of the church. And then what we learned is as we obey God, as we worship in spirit and in truth, as we share God's truth with others, as we pray together, as we fellowship with God and fellowship with each other, as we disciple one another to be more like Christ, God will make his church great. And just as a reminder, it's not what we do to become great. It's what God does through obedient people to become great. Last week, we identified the first kingdom result that will come from obeying God in those areas. And the fact is, we become more like Christ. And that should be our goal as Christians, as Christ followers, is to follow him in such a way that we become more like him. We looked at God's work in us, that he will change our character. He will make us more like Christ as we follow him. So often we look at obeying God's word as restriction, restriction in our life, that he's trying to take all the fun out of our lives. But in reality, every command, every impression that he has on your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit is to bring you closer to him. Well, that should change our perspective on do we obey God's commands. It's not a list of things that we ought to do. This is what we must do to be more like him. And just thinking that through, if God is commanding one thing and we choose not to do that, what we're saying is I do not want to be more like Christ. And that's from his children saying, I don't want to be like you in that area of my life. And that should convict us. That should challenge us. Today, the second kingdom result of, of following God in these areas is that more people will be reached for Christ. More people will be reached for Christ. When I think about reaching others for Christ, I think about evangelism. 
And evangelism is more than a weekly visitation program. Evangelism is is more than a periodic event that the church might host. It's something more than what ministers are supposed to do. Evangelism is the outpouring of what God is doing in you and the compelling to see other people saved by Jesus. Now think of that. As we, the church, look at God's word, as we, the church, have a responsibility, have been given the message of the gospel salvation, that the salvation experience, the evangelism in our lives is simply the overflow of what God's doing in us. And the desire to see others saved by Jesus. Jesusfilm.org describes why it's important. (laughs) I'll just say it's important because God said it's important. But here's some other things. Uh, Evangelism is about increasing God's fame. Psalm 105.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. That means we talk about what he's doing in our lives to other people that they may know. Evangelism is wise work. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. Evangelism points to the only source of salvation. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. We know the truth. We're compelled by the truth. We've experienced the truth and it is natural for us to want to share the truth with those who do not know. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, God appointed Ezekiel as a watchman. Now, a watchman's job was to sit on the tower and watch the gate. And if there was danger approaching, he would warn the people that they might be saved. Now, if they fell asleep, then the blood of the people who died because they were not warned would be left on their hands. But there's a spiritual application here in verses 18 and 19. God says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if I warn you, and if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul." See, evangelism is not something you ought to do. Evangelism is not the duty of the pastor to guilt others into going out. I don't want you leaving here and say, gosh, if Steve said we have to do this, I guess we've got to do it. That's, that's the wrong attitude of sharing the gospel with others. Evangelism is rooted in a love relationship with God. And it's a genuine concern for people. We just sang of compassion 
having compassion for others, being concerned that if they take their last breath right now without knowing Jesus, that they will have an eternity in hell. And, and I wonder if, if we as Christians do not share the gospel, we use the excuses of, well, I'm bashful, or I don't know what to say, or I don't want to offend anyone. Do we use that as an excuse, or do we not believe God's word? Do we believe that there is really a heaven and a hell? That heaven is reserved for only those who are in Jesus Christ, and everyone else goes to an eternal hell. Do we believe that? Because if we did, would we not be compelled to share that with other people? A warning as we sit on the gate. Warning, you're in danger. If you and I are not responsible to warn others and point them to safety, listen, they have no chance. It doesn't work out in the end. You either know Jesus or you do not. This morning, I want to look at three different passages. You can see that in your bulletin if you want to go ahead and and look ahead. But I want to look at the church in three different ways in, in regards to reaching people for Christ. Number one in your outline, the first church reached people. Now, God shared his intentions about reaching other people before the first church in Acts. There's other places that you can go, but Genesis 12, God told Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that reference was beyond Abram's Um, understanding. He he could not grasp what God was saying to him. But you and I, as we look at scripture and we see the history and how it ends, we know that that's a reference to Jesus, that the Messiah, the Savior would come through the line of Abram and all people would be blessed through him. In Acts chapter 2, we looked at this back in May of last year more in more detail. But just as a reminder, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised again. And he hung out with the disciples. He met with them. He ate with them. He taught them. And then he said, the promise will come. Wait. For the promise. And then we go to the book of Acts and we see that the promised Holy Spirit came on the disciples, that they could not refrain from speaking about the mighty works of God. And they found themselves standing before devout men from every nation under heaven, which by the way is a fulfillment of Matthew 28, that you are to go and make disciples of all nations. And here in in the book of Acts, we see it happening right then, that God brought all people into that area, that there would be a representative from all nations there to hear the great works of God. Peter, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, began speaking about the good news of Jesus. And we're just going to read a portion of that. It's a great sermon. This is Acts chapter 2. Verses 36 through 41, Acts chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, beginning with verse 36. 
So he's already said much up to this point, a great testimony as to what happened. Then he said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Sounds like the words of a watchman, doesn't it? So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter shared this truth. God made Jesus Lord and Christ, parenthetically, whom you crucified. Which means you knew him, but you crucified him. He made him Lord. That means he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's been given that. That's who Jesus is. He is Christ. That means he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior for whom they hoped. Even though these devout religious men knew about Jesus, they did not know him as Lord and Savior. But they heard the truth that day, didn't they? They heard what Peter had to say. And they were crushed. And they asked, what shall we do? That means they understood the truth. Here, let me just say, that's where revival begins. When you're crushed by the word of God, understanding your sin compared to his holiness, and you cry out, what shall we do? And Peter answered, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now they know how to respond. See, that's important to know. It's okay to be crushed in in, in the, the holiness of God, but what do I do about that? He says, repent. Repent from your way of life and and follow God. Commit your life to him. Let him be the authority in your life. Do that and you will be saved. Peter went on to say this news is, is also for your children and for those who are far off. That means for those who have been crushed by the gospel of Jesus Christ Those who have been saved, they have responded to the message of Jesus Christ, now have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others who do not know him. Because that's who it's for, for those who do not yet know. And God saved 3,000 souls that day. Can you imagine that baptism service? 3,000 thousand souls even if you had the 12 disciples said yeah we'll all jump in we'll line up on the river y'all come on how long would you stand there and celebrate what god is doing in the community and in the nations because he is saving people he's bringing people unto himself if you go on and read 
the remainder of that chapter, God continued adding to the number those who were being saved. That's the work of God. Number two in your outline, the the present church is commissioned to reach people. The present church is commissioned to reach people. This is 2 Corinthians. If you turn over just a little bit to the right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could spend weeks studying this passage but my focus on this passage this morning is the ministry that has been given us. So we'll spend most of our time there. We do not value someone based on their heritage, their education, reputation, their status, their wealth. But instead, now, this is having been in Christ, now... We see all people as children of wrath in need of God's grace or children of God who have been saved by God's grace. That's all there is in the world today. It doesn't matter anything else. You're either a child of wrath or you are a child of God. Scripture says that we become a new creation when we answer God's call for salvation repenting of our ways, surrendering to his authority. And that Greek word, therefore, a new creation is katesis, and it represents God's exclusive work. And, and what that means to me is this, that we, we can try to act better, we can try to be better, but unless God is involved, we will not be any better than we are today. And I think sometimes we approach Christianity that way. We, we are, we're convicted under, under the Scripture, and, and we surrender our lives to Jesus, and then we're going to go out and do the best we can to live in obedience to Him. 
And, and we already know the answer, you will fail. And then we get discouraged. Then we're like, well, I must not have got what everyone else got. And, and, and then we're not committed and we don't follow and we lose our zeal for God. Why would you share about a God who didn't do anything in your life? So we must yield ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, allow Him to work in us and change us. That begins with the sin that He makes aware in your life. He's not doing that to applaud you. He's doing that to change you. What do you do when He convicts you of your sin? I'm sorry you caught me, is usually how we respond to that. But are we crushed before His holiness? Do we turn from that way of life or that way of thinking? Do we turn from those things and say, I'm committing myself to God. I'm turning to Him. That's His exclusive work. Well, as we look at this being created, being newly created, two questions. How are we a new creation? And why do we need to be recreated? Verse 18 clarifies the how. He said, God did all the work to restore us to a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap between where we are and where God is. There's nothing we can do to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. Nothing we can do to bridge the gap between an eternal hell and eternal life. We, we can't do that, but God can So he restores us to a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? First of all, because he loves you. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We need to know that. It doesn't matter how far you run. It does not matter how much you have cursed him. It doesn't matter what you are doing now. God loves you and gave his son for you. Why did he do this? He had to recreate us to reconcile us. You can't reconcile someone when their nature is against you. We were the enemies of God, children of wrath. And unless we were recreated into his image, we could not be his. It reminds me of the words in John 3, 3, when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's being recreated. We have to be recreated in Christ. That means there will be a change in your life when you submit your life to his authority. We are grateful for what we have received, but what else did God give us in these verses? Verses 18 and 19, God entrusted every born-again believer with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So not only did we experience reconciliation through Christ, we've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. He gave us the responsibility to tell everyone how he reconciles the world to himself through Jesus Christ, not counting their trespasses against him any longer. We're called ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? What do we do as ambassadors? Scripture tells us here, God makes his appeal to the world through you. 
God makes his appeal to the world through you. Well, here's just a little question we might want to ask ourselves this morning. How is God doing in you? Does the world, do the people that you associate with, the people at school, the people at work, the people you you play with, are, are, are they hearing the appeal of God through you? Because as an ambassador, that's what's been given you. That's who you are. We do not have the power to save, and that takes some pressure off of us. But we carry the message of God, the message of salvation that is the power of God for salvation for those who will believe. That's good news. Paul says, we beg you to be reconciled on behalf of Christ. Why do we beg on behalf of Christ? And just looking at this passage here, we beg on his behalf because on our behalf, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That is to be recreated, to be created in him. So if your relative or friend or coworker, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, neighbor is not a new creation in Jesus Christ, that means they have not been re- reconciled to God, that their trespasses are still counted against them. And that, my friend, is bad news. That does not end well. But we have been commissioned as ambassadors for Christ so that they may hear how to be reconciled to God. And that is good news for them if we tell them. Do do you hear the urgency and the responsibility that has been given you and me? If you knew Jesus was returning today at 6 p.m., you had the time, and it wasn't because I said it. It was because we heard the voice of God, and he said, 6 o'clock today, I'm returning. Let, let me just ask, first of all, who would you tell? Who have you been waiting on that you would say, I have got to share with this person? Because time doesn't matter anymore. They need to know Jesus today because he's coming back. Who's the one person you would share with? Is a friend or a family member, a neighbor? Think of their name. Who's God laying on your heart right now? Who needs to hear about me if I'm coming today at 6? How about a larger window? Next Sunday morning at 9.15, we're going to be in the midst of worship. Jesus is coming back and we know it. We have a week. Who are you going to tell this week? Are you going to tell everybody? Are you going to stand out like the the Girl Scout girl last week or yesterday selling Girl Scout cookies at Walmart? There was not a person that went by her that did not get an opportunity to buy some thin mints. Would you be there? See, it's serious. Do you sense the urgency that we have if we knew when Jesus was coming back? the urgency that we would have to share with those that we know do not know Jesus. We have a responsibility to warn those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And since you and I do not know when Jesus is returning, should we not be living with the same urgency as if we did? We don't know how much time we have. So the church has been about the business of reaching people for Christ. The present church is commissioned to reach people for Christ. And then number three, the church will reach people for Christ. The church will reach people for Christ. And I have to say, doesn't this sound like an overwhelming task to be given you, to be given me, that we are to take this gospel message literally to the end of the earth? (laughs) Make disciples of all nations. Isn't that a little daunting to you? And really, I think most of us will just check out here and say, ah, well, I'm not equipped for that. I don't have that kind of resource to to do that to the end of the earth. That's for those missionaries that we support. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 7. This is the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. I'm just going to look at verses 9 and 10. All of this is beautiful text to read. But for our purpose this morning, I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10. So Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, Jesus gave John a sneak peek into heaven. And what did he see? He saw the throne, he saw the Lamb of God, but he saw a great multitude. And and the scripture is clear here. It's a multitude that could not be numbered. A multitude from every nation, all tribes, all people, all languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. You know what that means? That means the people of God heard the word of God and was compelled to share the word of God with those who did not know God. That's what the church does. And we've done so to the end of the earth, according to Revelation chapter 7. Did all people receive the salvation of God? No. But a great multitude did. And that should encourage us. The point is that when we are committed to God's leadership for his church, we will experience what only God can do in his church as we obey him. And when you and I are in awe of God, of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing, we will invite others to experience the same God that we know. And if we're not sharing If we're not telling, is it because we're just not in awe of God anymore? Maybe that's where we need to start. We need to start on our knees before God. God, I have put you on the shelf with my trophies. I don't 
honor you. I do not respect you. I do not count you as holy. I don't count you as eternal. I don't count you as God above all gods and Lord above all lords. I don't count you that way any longer. And I need to repent of that because you are God and you're worthy of all worship and all praise. You're worthy of my life and my breath. As a result of us being in awe of him and sharing with others who he is, God will build his church. We get to see that. We get to experience that. We get to see lives changed. On the other hand, if we're only talking with other Christians about Christ, we're not sharing at all. We're not warning those who need to hear the ministry and the message of reconciliation. They're lost. And they will continue to be lost until they hear and they have a choice to obey and follow Jesus. So fueled by the Holy Spirit, submitted to the Lord's commands, every born-again believer is a vessel for the life-changing gospel. And since our responsibility as ambassadors for Christ is not a choice, it's what's been given us, we must ask, what am I doing with God's ministry and message of reconciliation? So here's the challenge. I am glad you're here. And we need to be together. God said to be together. And don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another. We need to do that. But if we are not doing what God said to do as his church, what are we doing? What's the purpose of encouraging one another if we're not encouraging each other to do what God said? That we could change lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he would save lives and and restore marriages and break the chains of addiction in lives of other people who are around us every day. Isn't this worthy of telling someone else how great God is? I can read verses. I can quote statistics. I can give examples. But it all comes down to you and me being thrilled by the presence and the power of God. And if you and I are not thrilled by him and obedient to his commands as an expression of our love, the world will not know who he is. This community will never be changed. And you might be here this morning and you're saying, but Steve, where do I even begin? I, I don't know what to say. And my answer is simply this. Share your story. What is your story? In your outline, there's three points at the bottom. It's just a basic outline of what you can use to tell your story. Explain your life before you met Christ. What, what was it like? And I could say, well, I had no purpose in life. That I, I didn't have hope. I wanted to be accepted by others and I would do anything to be accepted by others, even if it was wrong. No direction. I really felt like a fish out of water sometimes. I knew there had to be more. 
The second part is, well, how, how were you introduced to Christ? And, and I would tell you that in my life it was through church experiences. And I, I understand. I didn't pay attention a lot as I was growing up, as I was brought to church. I didn't hear the messages of the preacher. I was more concerned with the girl at the end of the pew. But something stuck. I heard the truth. I was involved in youth ministry. Uh, I helped form a college ministry. But I was continually encouraged by those who knew him. Later in life, much later in life, I was challenged by a friend who said, Steve, you're not living what you say you believe. What kind of a friend is that? That hurt a little bit. I was a bit offended, but it was the truth and I knew it. And it was there I learned what it meant to surrender all. Stop playing the game of Christianity, but give God everything. The third part is what is Christ doing in you now? See, this is the important thing. Because you're already talking to someone and you're already told them how your life was and it probably is going to meet up with where they're at in some form or fashion. You've told them about how you have been introduced to Christ and now you're introducing them to Christ. You're telling them about the good news. But what they want to know is, is he real? What's happening in your life today? What is your testimony today? I don't care what happened in 1978. What's going on today in your life through this mighty and powerful God that you declare? I made a list of some things, and, and I could go on. He's given me purpose and hope for the future. I know that I am loved, and I know that I am forgiven completely. My character is being shaped into the image of Christ day by day. He's freed me from the bondage of addiction. He has cleansed my mouth of foul language. He gives me understanding. He's given me love and compassion for others. He leads me. He gives me peace in the midst of the storm. He is my friend. I am his child, and I'm secured for eternity. I have nothing to worry about today because I am his. I'm firmly in his grasp. Listen, if you don't have a story, God invites you into his story this morning. It's only three points at the bottom of the outline. But listen, if you can't fill that out, you need to search your heart. What is God doing in my life? Do I know him? And I would assure you that what he has done in me, he can do in you. You have not run too far. You have not turned your back on him for too long. You have not done too much that his grace cannot reach you where you are today. Years ago, I had a, a man come to the front weeping because he was a Vietnam veteran and he did not believe God could forgive him for what he had done. And I assured him with the scriptures 
that he will remove your transgressions, transgressions as far as the east is from the west. It will not be counted against you because Jesus died for you. He paid the price for your sin. This morning, you are one of two people here this morning. You are a child of wrath needing to surrender to receive the grace of God. Or you are a child of God needing to repent and embrace the grace of God in wherever he is leading you. A child of wrath has no hope for eternity. A child of wrath is an enemy of God. And I would simply appeal to you this morning and ask you, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you recognize him as the authority? Will you believe the word of God? And will you trust Jesus for the work he did on the cross and understand that it applies to you also? You don't outrun God's grace. You turn to it and let him embrace you. And he'll do that for you this morning if you'll turn to him. A child of God is an ambassador for Christ, equipped with the Holy Spirit, given the ministry and the mission of reconciliation. And I would ask this morning, is God calling you to repent today? Repent from where you are to live with urgency so that others might be saved by his gospel. A healthy church reaches people for Christ. That's the truth. And let me give you a challenge. As you work through your story, share it with someone you love, even if they're a Christian. Share your story, and it will make it a whole lot less awkward when you're talking to a stranger. If you're a young person here today, ask your mom and dad their story. You have my permission. Listen to what God is doing. Know what God is doing. Share what God is doing. We're the church. And if we're going to be healthy, we're going to tell others who he is. So whether this morning it's to surrender to repent, to be thankful, or maybe God's leading you to join this body of believers. I'm going to ask you to come today. In a time of invitation, the altar will be open. And, and I would tell you that this altar is an altar for salvation. It's also an altar for repentance. It's an altar for thanksgiving. It's a place where you can come before God and you can be at peace before him and you can have others praying with you. It's open to you this morning. I'll be right here to receive you if you need anything of me. But let's pray. Would you come on up and we're going to have a time of invitation. Let me pray with you. Lord, we come before you now and we thank you for your word. Lord, that cuts to the heart. And like the people that Peter was preaching to, they were crushed. What shall we do? 
was the cry. And so, Lord, we're coming before you right now, and I pray that you would show us what we must do to be thoroughly right with you, that you may be alive and well within us, that we would be not only energized, but we would be provided with every opportunity to share how awesome you truly are. If there are any lost here today, Lord, I pray that they've heard your call and they say yes, coming to you for salvation. Have your way with us this morning. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.